Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. Hello, Katie. Hey, Keith. Happy post-Grammy week. Yeah, and pre-Super Bowl and pre-Oscars, because the fun never stops. There's always something, isn't there? Yes, there is, and as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we are going to recap the big news from the 2020 Grammy Awards, and we've got big chart news about Eminem. Plus, what a coincidence, we've got an interview with 17-time Grammy Award winner Sting on the show this week. 17. 17. (laughs) Um, share the wealth, man. Um, he joins us to talk about his starring role in the touring production of his musical The Last Ship, his upcoming Las Vegas residency, and much more. So stay tuned for that in just a bit. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. All right, let's get into the big chart news of the week. Um, And it's actually the biggest chart news on both the Billboard 200 Albums chart and the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart. Um, And that's from Eminem. He debuts straight in at number one on the Billboard 200 with his new album, Music to be murdered by. <laughs> Sounds like a light listen. Just a happy, <laughs> happy, just an album full of happy little ditties. Um, and that was, by the way, surprise released on January 17th, like his last album was surprise released. Surprises. Who needs promo? Who needs promo? Eminem certainly doesn't. <laughs> um, and over on the Hot 100 chart, the album's song Godzilla, which features Juice World. Uh, the late Juice World debuts at number three. Uh, now, the album uh, starts with 279,000 equivalent album units earned in the week ending January 23rd, according to Nielsen Music MRC data. And that earns Eminem his record extending 10th debut at number one and a 10th number one album in a row. All 10 of his albums, or all 10 of his number ones, say that again. All, all of his albums have hit number one except for his very first album, the Slim Shady LP. Well, at least his first album to chart, that yes. is. Um, so, nice track I record. think that's his first major label release. Too. That's, I think, the way that we should probably frame it, yeah. <laughs> um, over on the Hot 100, Godzilla uh, debuts at number three, and it marks the 22nd top 10 for Eminem and the third for the late Juice World. It's just Eminem's world, and we're living in it. Yep. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about the Grammy Awards, especially considering our very fitting pre-Grammy podcast guests last week. Um, Should we maybe just rename these things the Eilish Awards at this point? Sure. Sure. (laughs) So Billy performed on the show. She won five awards in total out of her six nominations, and she won all of the top four categories. Listeners of the show know that those are Album of the Year for When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Record of the Year and Song of the Year, both for Bad Guy. 
and Best New Artist. And she's just the second artist to ever achieve this feat, after Christopher Cross did it in 1981, and the first woman to ever do it. And the youngest person, and, you know, It's a whole mess. Yeah, youngest to win album of the year as well. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, she beat Taylor, because Taylor had the record, Yeah, Taylor Mm -hmm. Swift with Fearless when she was a little bit older, I guess. Yeah, well, Billy was nominated at 17 and won it at 18, so... Um, obviously it was a huge night and, you know, as I mentioned, we had Phineas, Keith had a great chat with Phineas last week Older on the podcast. brother who produced the album. And he was nominated for five awards for the night, given that not all of the awards go to producer of the album as he was. And he actually won producer of the year, non-classical and best engineered album also for, um, when we all fall asleep. So he won all five of his prizes. Like nice, nice track record. What? And, hey, we look brilliant for having him on the show. Yeah, we always book the winningest guest. I mean, actually, this is our second year in a row of having the Album of the Year winner on. <gasps> oh, because right. we had Casey Musgraves last year. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's like a lot of pressure. Hey, so. Or it's also a lot of, like, clout. Publicist, <laughs> artists, if you're listening. You need this to, is how you secure this, this is, thing. This is how you win Album of the Year. You get booked on the Billboard Pop Shop podcast after the voting has already closed. Uh, yeah, right. I was going to say, or is it because these people are the best at playing this <laughs> this whole game and they book everything? Who I don't knows? know. Who knows? Who knows? But um, anyway, congratulations to Billy and to Phineas for your massive night. Um, yeah, so should we talk a little bit more or should we just move on? <laughs> um, maybe we can just move on. Should we move on? I mean, we could just say that I was backstage and you were on the Billboard live stream, on the live red stream. carpet show, and uh, you know, it's always a crazy time, but a fun time. Yeah, make sure to visit Billboard.com for uh, all, all of, our, of the Grammy coverage. All of the Grammy coverage that Katie Atkinson wrote. <laughs> yeah, all of it. All of it. <laughs> okay, so uh, now it's time for our interview with Sting, the 17-time Grammy Award winner, Emmy winner, four-time Oscar nominee, and Tony Award nominee. Who? Uh, joins us to talk about how he's having the greatest adventure of his life, starring in the musical stage show The Last Ship, which is touring the U.S. through April. Uh, Now, The Last Ship is a personal story uh, and a personal show from Sting. It's based upon basically his his childhood and his youth, um, growing up sort of in the shadow of a shipyard in England, um, and that shipyard was basically uh, falling on hard times as the shipbuilding industry uh, waned uh, back in the day. So it comes from a personal place for him, and, it, and it's very um, important to him uh, to take the show on the road, and obviously it's it's also a treat for us to get to see Sting in it. Um, so that's touring the U.S. through April, so uh, go check it out. And uh, plus, we chat about his upcoming Las Vegas residency, and of course I make a song request, because I am want to do that. <laughs> um, a new dance theater production set to his music that is about to premiere in London, and his thoughts on the passing of Juice World, who sampled Sting's Shape of My Heart in his smash hit Lucid Dreams, and why Sting, unlike certain other artists who shall go unnamed, has been open to the idea of other artists interpolating his work. So, take a listen to our interview with Sting. On the earth or in heaven or under the sun, when the last ship sails. Welcome back to the Billboard Pop Shop podcast, Sting. How are you? I'm, I'm very happy to be talking to you on this podcast. Thank you. Uh, you're currently starring in the touring production of your Tony Award-nominated musical, The Last Ship, um, which will be visiting cities in the U.S. through April, I believe. Um, now, you were not part of the original Broadway production, but you joined it towards the tail end. And mm. then ever since then, I think, when it's been staged, 
if I think for the most part, um, you have been in the show. Yeah. I mean, this is not the first time you've been in the show. You've been in the show elsewhere. I've actually done 115 performances so no far. No one's counting. But. Um, I, I know that because I looked it up. <laughs> um, but I never intended to be in this play. You know, I, I wrote it for actors other than myself. Well, you're an actor too, though. Oh, well, yeah. you know, I, I get by. But um, it was it's odd that once I was asked to be in it, because quite frankly, a name will sell more tickets than someone who it's, isn't the name. This and happens all the time. It's a commercial yeah. reality. So I agreed to do it. And then uh, that worked. We started to sell tickets. And then once I'd got my feet wet, I realized that I was enjoying it and could bring even more of myself into this character which I'd created uh, myself, so I've had a great time, and whenever the opportunity to to play the role comes up, now I grab it with both hands because it's so much fun. Uh, why was it important to take the show on the road? Because not all shows that were on Broadway necessarily always transfer to a touring production, and sometimes it just don't work. But it feels like, I mean, obviously people need to know that this is a very personal story, and mm. it comes from your childhood. But aside from that, I mean, you could have just said, "Well, you know, that was good. We had our time." But you're like, no, let's take this thing on the road. You know, for me, the, the play is never finished. It's always in the process of being remade uh, night by night, performance by performance, week by week, season by season. You're always looking to improve it, to hone it, to you know make it better than it was. And we're still in that process. And I, I love that. The fact that it's not a, a museum artifact, it's actually a living, breathing, organic thing with real actors. And you're, you're playing off them all the time. It's a bit like jazz. You know, you, you, start, you, you know the general shape of the tune you're playing, but within that, there's all kinds of variations can come happen and surprise you and surprise the audience. So the, the opportunity to bring it to the people, uh, which someone suggested, you know, first of all, we, we're here in L.A., then we're going to be in D.C., San Francisco... Detroit, which I'm looking forward to immensely, and Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, it, it tells the audience that it's really for them, and it's not necessarily a tourist uh, attraction. Yeah. You know, it's about a real issue. It's a love story set in an industrial town that's falling apart. But that's not the subject of the, of the thing, really. It's a love story. Right. And uh, it's an entertaining one. It, it's I, when you said Detroit, I'm like I think uh, if of of the cities on the tour, I feel like Detroit might appreciate it a little bit more, considering I think there's a direct sort of connection between sort of the auto industry and well, the shipbuilding know, industry. In many you're ways. right, C certainly but, here in America. But I, I was I was a little apprehensive about L.A. Would they get it? And having done a week here, they certainly do. Yeah. So I I don't think it's industry specific. Right. I think there's an anxiety in the world generally that this play addresses. How you do you say. how do you deal with anxiety? <laughs> as a community in the world and all of us are suffering that did did anyone i'm wondering you know because people that are going to see the show need to know that it's not like a jukebox musical it's not just like and here's the hits of sting you know in a shipyard there are a couple moments where you hear a couple sting familiar favorites but don't go into it expecting that i'm wondering when you were sort of in the initial stages of putting the show together, did anyone float the idea, you know it would be a great idea if this show was just set to your hits? A jukebox musical. It, a juke, with the same story, but a jukebox musical with all of your songs. Like, wouldn't that get more people to come? And then you'd you have know? to shoehorn the songs in, in, into some spurious plot that would, would be stupid. And I had no desire to do that. 
um, I wanted to do the most difficult thing in the theater, which is to create an original musical. That's the hardest thing you can do, and anybody will tell you that. But I've never been one to want to fall off the bottom rung of any ladder. You know, I, I'm pretty mm -hmm. ambitious. Um, and it's nine years in. Um, I've had the greatest adventure, and I'm having the greatest adventure of my creative life. It's so, so satisfying. So did anyone actually ever suggest that? Yeah, people have suggested it all the time and, and presented me with really dumb you know, plot ideas. Suddenly it's <laughs> Mamma Mia in a shipyard. No <laughs> offense to Mamma Mia, which is lovely. Um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, to, to sort of segue here, um, there's another theater production that is about to start up for you that yeah. you are not starring in, but that would also be kind of fun to see you in this. Um, it's premiering in London uh, on February 6th, and it's called Message in a Bottle. Um, it's a dance theater production choreographed by Kate Prince, who also choreographed the hit musical Everybody's Talking About Jamie, which is brilliant. You should see it. Yeah. I saw it. It's great. Um, how... It, this is, uh, I, it, they're kind of vague with the storyline of this, um, probably on purpose, but how were you pitched this, and was it an immediate yes for you? Well, be, you know, it's, it's being performed at Sadler's Wells, which is one of the most famous dance companies in, in Britain, very historic. And for me, dance is a very abstract art form. So they're, they're using my music to create a story, but in, in a much more abstract way than, than it would be if there was dialogue and, you know, like a play. Right. And so I was intrigued by that because it's not an area I, I know very much about. And really, they've, they've been given carte blanche to do whatever they want with, with my music. Here's my catalog. Do what you want. There it effectively. is. Uh, I saw an early workshop and was very touched by it, very moved by it. Um, how how the, the, the movements was, were telling me a story, um, you know, di directed by my songs, but um, it was interesting. Um, I, I, the description of the show is a bit cryptic. It says it's described as a vital and uplifting story of humanity and hope, and it, it's apparently set in a village alive with joyous celebrations that is suddenly under siege and everything changes forever. Um, there's, I think there's something in there speaking to perhaps immigrants or immigration. I could be wrong. I guess when we see it, we'll know. Well, in the, in the workshop I saw, that seemed to be the, 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 Overall. Meta, the meta, you know, reality. They, they were it's also operating. dance, so sometimes it's not as... It's also very topical. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the refugee crisis is with us and will not go away while there are still wars being prosecuted while we still have climate change issues and so this this is probably the biggest problem of the 21st century is mass movements of people across borders and borders are always fraught with tension yeah. and they're artificial and we're going to have to learn how to, to deal with it i'm not sure building walls is uh, the way uh, but certainly to be more responsible about how we behave as first world countries. In other words, the weapons that are prosecuting these wars are built here. They're built in Europe. Um, they're built in Russia. They're not built where the people are suffering. Mm. And I think we have to take responsibility for that. So any, any refugee story like that is something I would be attracted to. I think it's an important message to get across. Um, you said that they have carte blanche to use your recordings, are, and I'm sure we'll see this once we actually see it. Is it? Are there any new arrangements or maybe the songs that we haven't heard, or is it like, oh no, it's the familiar recordings, the studio recordings that we've heard? It's actually m me singing 
with the new backing. Really? Yeah, they've used my voice. And so it's the, your original voice from the studio recording. No, actually, no. I recorded some of them. Amazing. Again, because looking forward to know, the cast album. Once of this the backing one was was recreated, I needed to respond to that. Right, because yeah. it, it wouldn't work. Well, that well, that's a treat. But that's that's, that's been my only contribution. So far. So far. You never know. You could end up in the dance troupe. Well, no, I'm going to make the announcement to turn your phone off at the beginning, but apart from that. Oh, really? You know, and I won't end up in the dance troupe. That's, <laughs> that's a promise. Um, uh, moving on, um, you have your Vegas residency, your first Vegas residency, starting uh, on May 22nd at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace. Um, a lot of folks have done residencies. I've seen a number of them in Vegas. Um, what... Aside from the obvious like financial reward and you can be in one place at one time, why did this specific pitch at the Coliseum seem appealing to you to do? You know, I've played um, Vegas many, many times over the years, um, coming in for one night to play you know, various entertainment venues. Uh, this will be the first time I actually have my own room mm, yeah. <laughs> that's dedicated to me and telling my story through song. So... Um, I won't be changing a gown every song. Come on. <laughs> no. Can we be wearing a gown at all? I won't be even wearing headdresses. Um, but there is an opportunity to make a more theatrical show than I normally would. I normally just rely on good lights, great band, and songs. Right. And this gives me the chance to explore that more theatrical huge, areas. By the way. Yeah. That's I, I, I love the room. I think Caesar's Palace is a, it's a great room. It's, it's a big room, but it's yeah. also very intimate. It's the, the, right. the architecture is intimate. So it gives me a chance to get close to the audience, and they get close to me. And I'll be telling my story through songs. How did I end up here in Vegas? Is it is it like stories between songs? Is that what you're hoping? Or there is it, will there okay. will be songs between stories. Is it mostly a hits sort of? Sorry, show? there will be stories between songs. That's yes. Or maybe the other way around. Or songs between stories. Too. Yeah. Um, is it basically a hits kind of show? Yeah. Can I make a request? Sure. Uh, we'll be together. Sure. Okay. Yeah. When you coming? Um, I don't. I, your people are in the room. I think we can make that happen. I'll put you on the spot. Um, well, you have. Well, just I was saying that because you haven't performed. We'll be together in a proper like a tour setting since two thousand four. You did it as a one off. I think last year. I used to perform it with Annie Lennox when we toured together, um, and I did it. Yeah, I did it this year at the Rainforest show. Yeah, the one with the Eurythmics, I believe. Yeah. Can you make that? Can you make them do an album together? You seem to have the power to get them to show up at places. Could could happen. You can you can duet with Annie on a whole collaborations <laughs> album. I'll I'll sort of wrap this up uh, with kind of a sort of a sad ish question, I suppose. Um, and also, there sounds like there's a party next door. So if the pe- folks listening to the podcast, yeah, there's we clearly a party. Invited, but <laughs> we weren't invited. We're we're in a closet, and there's a party next door. Um, that could be a lyric. We're in a closet, and there's a party. No. Uh, okay, if you want to be. <laughs> no. Okay. I, I don't know. Coming out of the closet, maybe. Sure. <laughs> I've already done that. Um, um, okay, so, I haven't yet. <laughs> yet. So, we're breaking news. Sting. Okay, so, um, lastly, um, we recently lost someone that, though you didn't quite work with, um, you consented to have your music um, used in his work, Juice World. Um, uh, your song, Shape of My Heart, was sampled in his song, Lucid mm-hmm. Dreams. And you were supportive of this, um, and you've even performed kind of a mashup of those two songs together on stage. Yeah. Um, you know, there are artists that 
aren't necessarily receptive to seeing their work interpolated or sampled and others, um, especially in hip hop. But you have been open to that and encouraging of that in, in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Well, first of all, when I, when I heard it, I, I recognized something very special in that interpolation. I thought it was a wonderful um, interpretation, interpolation. And so, of course, I was supportive of it. Um, I never met the, the man and was horrified when uh, he died so unnecessarily and so tragically. I think he was a great, great talent, and we, we miss him. I'd love to have worked with him. Um, but as a tribute, we we sing his song as part of you know the original shape of my heart. Mm-hmm. I, I think they fit together beautifully. Is there uh, and I'm not naming names of people, but there are certain other artists that have a you know kind of a, an amazing sort of breadth of work similar to yours, and they've been very vocal about like no, they cannot take my music. But, I mean, you performed with Diddy, you know, on the VMAs that year with I'll Be Missing You. I find it interesting when people take what, you, what you've done and then make something new. This is, this, is, this is how music stays alive, you know. Um, I still, you know, there are copyright issues and, you know, a, a, the creator of copyright needs to be rewarded, right. you know, appropriately. But saying to someone you can't, you can't work with my material, you know, all of us borrow from everybody. Yeah. Every songwriter ahead of me, I borrowed from, whether it was you know Rogers and Hammerstein or, or the Beatles or Mozart. You know, we steal from each other, but um, you know we we need to get paid. But also, we should be open to seeing what happens when someone else takes your idea and, and puts it somewhere else. Well, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you, um, folks. Go see the last ship. Go see Sting in Vegas. Please come if you happen to be in the UK travel down to London um, and uh, cross your fingers Sting might be coming out soon Um, uh, (laughs) thank you again sir thank you in a parallel universe in a parallel universe you never know don't knock it we'll be together tonight we'll be together alright thank you Sting is this his first time on the show nope this is how many times has he been on Third. Whoa, that's awesome. Returning guest Sting. Love it. That's incredible. I I know. And thank We're you. We're great at booking this podcast. You're you're incredible too, Sting. <laughs> we love you. Uh, and now it's time for the chart stat of the week. Let's make it awful. Awful. All right, keeping up with the Sting theme and the Grammy theme. Uh, this week in 1994, Sting was riding high on the Hot 100 chart with his first number one single, Outside of the Police, his previous band, with All For Love. Shocked you didn't sing that. Uh, All I would've, I would've, For Love. Um, I would have uh, definitely put money on that. <laughs> the Grammy Award-nominated Power Ballad, which is a co-build collaboration with Brian Adams and Rod Stewart, hit number one on the January 22nd, 1994 dated chart and spent a total of three weeks at number one. Now, the song, which was uh, written and recorded for the film The Three Musketeers, is Sting's only number one outside of his work as frontman for The Police, which topped the Hot 100 back in the 80s with Every Breath You Take. So, there you have it. This week, back in 1994, Sting, Brian Adams, and Rod Stewart were all for one and number one on the Hot 100 chart. (laughs) There it is. Now it's Okay, we've reached the end of our big shoe. 
Any parting words? Oh, who's going to be our Grammy guest next year? Who's going to win Album of the Year start, in 2021? Start your predictions now. <laughs> let us let us know. Uh, <laughs> tweet us. Um, what song should we go out on? Well, goodness. I don't know. Uh, uh, the Record of the Year winner, Bad Guy? I think that's a great idea. See you guys next time. Bye. I'm the bad guy. Duh. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.